anything's possible though, because you know Bitcoin is money. So you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Coin Telegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 75. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And host number three, Dr. Petty. DP? DP? And we're uh, we're powered by Cointelegraph, as you heard in our, our new music. And uh, basically what that entails is nothing. The same show, same format, nothing changes. Uh, but we should let the people know that we uh, we you know have a partnership going on, so we're a little bit stronger. Yeah, we have we, more people involved with listening to us. Absolutely, it's uh, we're partnered up with the Coin Telegraph. It's the lightning bolt. It kind of yeah. looks like the Power Rangers lightning bolt, which makes me feel really awesome about what we've done because I love the fucking Power Rangers. I call the Green Ranger. Then I'm you a call Green Ranger. Ranger? Mm, do I do it? I should Black. call Black Ranger. I'm going to go ahead Ranger. and do it. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get mad when that Black Ranger did that that disco dance during the opening credits? Like, well, why I, did the black guy have to do that? Well, I was eight, so no. But <laughs> it was cool, and he wouldn't try it himself. Hell yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to moonwalk off a picnic table and do a backflip and kick some dude on the forehead. And for some reason, it's going to explode. <laughs> well, so, well, I guess the only thing that this coin telegraph means is we now have a very extensive YouTube and SoundCloud reach that yeah. they are going to run. So it's just more ways to listen to us. On top Absolutely. of that, they're going to be building articles around our episodes so you can read about what we mm-hmm. had to say and so on and so forth and found our, our, uh, our podcast embedded in those articles as well. Absolutely. So if you listen to the show and you like what we do, it would behoove you to sign up to our newsletter and stuff, write stuff into us so we can provide you guys with more cool stuff to think about, talk about. I really enjoy, I really enjoy the fact that when I first said the word behoove, y'all both looked at me like I was crazy. And now D uses it on the regular. I can't stop using it. It's a good word. Can't stop. Won't stop. (laughs) It's, it's interesting. It's like, it's like this is in your best interest, interest, but saying it in one word instead of four. That's why we have vocabulary words? I know, man. G R E words. Well, what are we talking about today, Cello? What's on the docket? Some ads. Some ads are on the docket. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. All right, guys, listen to these ads and don't hate us afterwards. All right, go. All right, we're brought to you by EscrowMyBits.com. Uh, it's super easy. And let me tell you a little bit about it. All you have to do, it takes three steps. Just register and deposit your Bitcoin. And the seller 
ships the item, buyer checks the goods, and then releases the funds. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. They charge a flat escrow fee of 1% on all the transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So they've thought of everything. And Escrow My Bits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around. Their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible, and I think they've achieved it. Because we, D and I, we want there to no longer be any excuses on why not to use escrow. So start that process, go to their website, and escrow your shit with Escrow My Bits. You need to escrow I was going to do, need to escrow some shit, use Escrow My Bits. And we're also brought to you by <laughs> Athena Bitcoin, which is the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. And being from Texas, I'm pretty proud of this because they're located in Houston, Fort Worth, and H-Town? Dallas. Yeah, and they're going to branch like all over Texas probably soon and uh, seven other U.S. cities. So, uh, And then you can download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or on Google Play, whichever you prefer. And uh, get that list of specific locations. So mm-hmm. for more information, visit AthenaBitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, BitQuick.co. It is the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace. You get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. And BitQuick is serving Bitcoiners since 2013, which is the year that D introduced me to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. Absolutely. Is that it? Are we good? Yeah, we can tell people about purse at the end of the show. Yeah, we'll do that at the end. All right, let's get into it, man. Let's do some Bitcoin talk, some fintech talk, whatever. We All right. Do. What's on the docket? Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, scenario. Uh, their their big their big pitch was that they could have prevented the attack on the Dow, but when we were catching Dimitrik up on this interview, he said that he was a little bit uh, apprehensive about uh, proof of stake protocols. Yeah, I'm apprehensive because it's not understandable right up front. Like I did a well, bit of hasn't reading. Really been done yet? It's it, still like, exactly. I mean, it's only been done in test nets. Uh, Lightning Network will be somewhat of a proof of stake network. Mm-hmm. So when Lightning Network gets implemented into Bitcoin, that's going to or Bitcoin will essentially turn into a proof of stake slash proof of work model. This is okay. according to. Andreas, who then talked to a lot of the developers. So you can you can call it that. It's not how they're marketing themselves, but that's what it is. You put up money at stake, and the more you put up, the more transactions you can flow through. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I don't know what the details of how Ethereum trans- plans to transition into proof of stake. But mm. it's, it's essentially a scalable way of doing many, many, many transactions. But I'm not sure. I haven't done enough like real research on it. To... That sounds better than what I read on Scenario's website, though. Scenario's website okay. is a thing called Rio. R E O. Rose. Row is that? What... I guess they call it Row. Or Row Lang is the language they use. But Ro? what is Rio? Talk to what Rio is. Rio is. Hold up. I just had it up here. Mm. Did I close that tab? Sure did. Uh, scenario, it was something about... Rio is a measure of your reputation as a yeah, publisher. you got it publisher. Keep going. Uh, I lost it. I just noticed the Google thing. Let me see here. And... Rio. Here it is. 
measure your reputation as a publisher of attention-worthy content. So, oh yeah, so as you get deeper into that paragraph, what it basically says is that if your content is more attention-worthy, it gets to people faster, and it seems like, yeah, duh, but I don't, it's just too complicated, man. Why, why, that's what I don't well, understand about. It, it definitely is complicated. I mean, it, and for those who listen to the, the interview, we don't talk much about scenario, to be honest, but we talk about a lot of complicated stuff. Uh, yeah. And why is that bad? Because at the end of the day, they're going to provide, hopefully, if, if everything, if everything works out the way they plan to, they're going to provide a platform for people to use. And, it should be based on good UX and UI design, easy to use by whoever that wants to use it. Mm-hmm. So how it works in the background, if it works, doesn't matter how complex it is. And if you're going to use advanced math models and, and network theory and, and you know, the tip top theoretical ways of mapping these things out and creating them, then who cares? That's good. Is this a yours competitor? You know, I, I was I w- wanted to get around and asking that, and I'm not sure. I think it would be because it's 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 a social network. Well, the first implementation of what they're trying to do will be a social network that rewards good content, right? Which is essentially what the yours network is, or hmm. what it what it will be is getting money into the people who create good content and by giving money to those people, you then spread the, I don't know, popularity of that content at the same time, written into the platform. It's not, you know, an extra gimmick that works. Yeah. I think Ryan X Charles wants the alpha to go around September, October, and that's the same time scenario is launching theirs. So that's going to be kind of like a head to head thing. Ooh. it's it's clear that this is what needs to this is what this is like the next thing that people want that people want to have, there's a there's a there's a clear problem with people creating content and not getting paid for it based on the quality of their content uh, and they have this like pay per click model of advertising that a lot of people don't like and doesn't work very well mm-hmm. and. There's a lot of I think it seems like there's a lot of middlemen and it's obfuscation on how things are done. A lot of these new models, such as yours, and I think what I possibly understand in this scenario, is that the money just goes straight to the person who created the content. And by doing that, you then boost the popularity of that content, allowing it to be spread more. So you can get real viral things and the person who gets paid for that viral thing is really the person who created the content. Hmm. Man, you know it would be great content to put out there? The Bitcoin podcast. Like, yeah, obviously. But if you had like a <laughs> GoPro camera on your head and then some sort of software that automatically blurred people's face and then just people watched and talked about their ass, posted that on the internet. <laughs> you know... <laughs> As much as I hate that idea, it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this fucking guy. What's he doing? Ooh, picking his nose. Got him. Like that. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'd like to watch that. When so I just want to know something. Like, say I'm on the outside looking in. I've been familiar with Bitcoin. I've been following it for a while. Kind of getting the, you know, 
footing with blockchain technology. I hear I can get paid for my internet content. When's this shit start? What yours drops when in the fall? I don't know. I know that the alpha drops in September. Right, and, alpha. Ooh. And that means on their Reddit, they have their own Reddit page. Okay. And uh, the only thing that you can do is share and post, but your privacy is granular. And basically, they're just trying to get feedback from the general public. But that launches in September. And if you're wondering, like, well, what about Steemit? Uh, from my understanding, Steemit is not decentralized beyond using cryptocurrency. Scenario relies on decentralized server software without needing any sort of central authority or server. So that I think that's the difference between all these different platforms. Hmm. I just want to get paid for my content because that shit is awesome. So but I yeah, just want to like, you want to get paid for it. But you also want to be able to use the money you get paid, right? It's, yeah, it's man, that would like, be good. These, like, from, what I, from what I've understood, a lot of these, these Steemit posts that are blowing up and it's really unbalanced on who actually gets blown up on Steemit. Like the people who are actually getting money on this, on this platform is really imbalanced. And now it's just whenever they post anything, they get money. But a lot of good content goes immediately falls, falls to the bottom. So Steemit. It's also not clear if the platform can support these people taking money out of the platform. Like It's the same thing with Bitcoin, right? So say I have a lot of Bitcoin. I got a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But... If I can't get the Bitcoin out of the network into whatever I want to spend or I can't spend that Bitcoin, then it's pretty much worthless. Mm-hmm. And with Steemit, it's, that seems to be the case. Like they have a lot of Steam or whatever the, the token is. I think it's Steam. And, but they may not be able to get it out of the platform. They're they saying to use it. I think Steemit, the earnings are through what well, I think they're distributed through the blockchain and it's hard coded. So whoever is running Steemit, they don't need to interfere with, or they, there's no middleman between getting paid. Great. How do they spend it? That is yet to be determined. I think people are having issues with getting their, get like transferring their steam out of the network into something else that they can then use to buy something. So I could be steam it rich, eh, but it may be worthless. I don't know. It's it, how this platform scales. And if it's just pure hype and not able to deliver is something to be, to be determined. Hmm. I'm curious to talk to someone about it so they can answer those questions for me. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin's still the king, Mac Daddy. So <laughs> nice try, I guess, with scenario. Good job, guys. Would Bitcoin be like, you know, I'm sure you all see coming to America. Yes, no. yes. Eddie Murphy. Would yes. Bitcoin be like Eddie Murphy's dad? Mm-hmm. You talking and about... Eddie- James Earl Jones? Yeah, James Earl Jones. With like a lion <laughs> over his shoulders. Hell yeah. Mufasa? Bitcoin's the Mufasa yeah. of Bitcoin. Uh, wow. Oh, his name is Mufasa in that movie. You're right. No, it's not. Mufasa's the dad is. lion in The Lion King. I understand that, but I think his name is also Mufasa. His name's not I could be Mufasa. Wrong. It's been a long time. But either way. Uh, guess who's looking that up? I'm looking that up. <laughs> <laughs> the Ethereum? Is that like Eddie Murphy? No, it's uh, King... Hafe Hoffer, Joffer, Hoffer. Hafe Hofer. But I like, how, I like how Eddie Murphy's name is Prince Akeem, and isn't that the guy on Empire? All right, Maybe. We you just let everyone know that you watch Empire. I like Empire. And you're proud of it. Nice. Way to back it up. 
I mean, everyone. I mean, if I was full black, I'd be watching like Medea's family Christmas or something. Interesting. Like okay, let's move. Let's go back. Hey, did you know Louis oh, Anderson was in that movie? Before you say that, it's it's true though, because D hates the fact that he has to watch uh, Homeboys everything. I hate the fact that just due to trickle down uh, Tyler Perry. I know every single thing about everything he's done bugs me. Why is that? If you're black and you have a terrible movie uh, uh, taste, then you're seeing a Wayne's Brother movie. Like, that's just guaranteed. <laughs> well, the Wayne's Brothers aren't so bad. Medea's They've awful. They've out of the, of the black stigma. Like, if, Tyler Perry is... If you're black, you're watching Tyler Perry. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way around it, dude. That's coming from all the black people I know. Every single time I end up, like, with my extended family, the TV naturally gravitates towards some sort of Tyler Perry movie. And I'm like, damn. We got the Tyler Tyler Perry movie package. Yeah, just (laughs) the Tyler Perry channel. There it goes. All right. So I think that's that's a good transition into going into the interview. We should probably go into the interview. Go for it, Cello. Introduce. Introduce. All right. Well, we... We originally started with uh, Mr. Dor Conforti, uh, but then he kind of brought in uh, another member of the team. So it was really, really cool. Uh, but starting with Dor, to let you know how credible he is, he has a master's degree in neurobiology uh, from a brain research program. So the dude is super smart. And Greg Meredith is another really cool guy who's been working in the blockchain space, helping Ethereum with uh, formal verification of their proof-of-stake protocol. Uh, scenarios formally verified smart contracting, smart contracting language would have prevented the attack on the Dow. So that's a pretty big deal and one of the reasons why we wanted to get him on the show. And when we started this interview, I thought scenarios aim was kind of to overtake Facebook, but I found out quickly that wasn't the case. Uh, really interesting interview, and like Corey said, it was quite technical, but Corey does a good job of reeling them in and kind of keeping it layman for uh, the everyday listener. So let's get into that. Can I say something? Never mind. I'm going to leave it. And here it is. All right, guys, let's start with uh, just a little bit of light introductions. If you guys could, uh, you know, one by one, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started in this space. Who wants to go first? You do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, you know, I... <clears throat> I'm trying to find a, a new way to introduce myself. Usually I introduce myself as a, a poor, stupid mathematician and musician who is paying for his math habit and musicking by working in, in tech. Um, so I'm trying to... That's what you're for. Keep doing that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I could, I could, I could stick with that one, but I'm going to have to find <laughs> a new one. Um, <laughs> um, I was the principal architect for um, this talk process orchestration. Um so where I used um, a lot of the math that uh, we use in Scenario to build the first generation of internet scale smart contracting systems. Um, these were uh, typically uh, dubbed business, it was in the space of business process uh, modeling and business process automation out of which you know W3 standards like Bevel and, and WS choreography and, and others arose and also kicked off the whole surface service or oriented architecture stuff. Um, so uh, I got interested in applying the same tech to bio um, and um, went off to um, do that when I realized the biologists were just drowning in data and they needed a, 
a, a data uh, delivery mechanism. Um, and uh, and as I started building that out, I, I became I was approached by an entrepreneur who was very very concerned about the kind of privacy imbalance uh, and um, the growing economic imbalance. So we took the stuff I was doing and pivoted it towards a social network. And then I um, I got uh, I, as as we sort of deployed this in, in uh, more and more uh, realistic settings and realized we had something. Um, uh, I, I wanted to find a way to monetize it, and that's when I looked at the blockchain more seriously, and that's how Dor and I met because he was interested in building it. Uh, likewise, uh, decentralized um, uh, social network, uh, and and Dor was using in public the kind of language that we were using in private. So, so we thought it was really kind of a match made in heaven. That we were both talking about the attention economy and how to how to sort of. Um, um, make that a fundamental part, a fundamental and, and um, uh, uh, explicit part of, of a social network. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so really it felt, it felt like a good, a good match. And, and it's, been, it's been quite an interesting ride, I have to say. Um, I, sh- I should, I, I'll, I'll tell you more about the ride in a, in a moment. It's, but in the, interest, in, in the interest of both uh, narr- creating narrative tension, but also uh, giving Dor some airtime, let me turn it over to Dor. So I was born on the internet. <laughs> uh, I learned everything I know on phones and from computer games. And I have a little bit of a background in computers generally, like every you know computer game kid does. But mostly, I spent my adult life in the academy doing neuroscience, um, and uh, generally interested in the most complex distributed system known to man, which is the brain. Um, throughout the time, I still held. Uh, maintain quite a bit of an interest in internet and specifically just watching it grow, develop, offering more and more tools, more and more ways for people to, to communicate, to collaborate, to find new, new and interesting ways to, to expand what we can do together. And it was always um, a parallel interest that I had to, to neuroscience. And um, because of some observations that I've had really watching the internet grow and some, some insights from, from the brain, it was um, very clear to me very early on in Bitcoin's life that this is the new type of technology that, that's going to remove some of the friction that we have in, in communication and create better spaces for us to come up with um, new ways and more complex ways to collaborate, to engage with each other, to, to create value where previously the tools just weren't in place to facilitate um, such, such creation. So uh, about two years ago, after I've already been in, in, in Bitcoin since the beginning and mining and whatnot, um, I, I, I thought it would be a good time to really um, take the next step, you know, to up the ante. And, and push the envelope, really, really do something that takes this technology and offers well, beyond just value transfer, beyond just uh, financial services. And uh, I started looking around the net for all sorts of available technologies, all, all sorts of other experiments with blockchains and such. And then I found out about Greg and what he was doing. 
and he seemed to be some sort of uh, space robot or an alien <laughs> in the future. Just, uh, the technology just immediately available and, and handed over. Um, yeah, and so, so we've been <laughs> working on this happily ever since. You know, this this conversation can go in quite a few different directions, and I I think um, what's interesting about modern technology and at least the way we're trying to push the edge of machine learning and how we interact with machines. So we but we have like this this push for artificial intelligence and making machines autonomous and essentially doing doing our bidding and doing everything autonomously. And then you have the other side of when we try to do this, they end up not working very well and you need the human element. Uh, and it's somewhat unclear as to how we move forward. Will there ever be a completely autonomous artificial intelligence or will there always be a human element? And it seems like scenario takes the latter of those two opinions and saying that the human element is necessary. Oh, so, that, so that's, that's a really great, that's a really great perspective. And I, you know, Primavera uh, de Philippi has, has been raising this perspective for quite some time where, you know, she sort of said Ethereum, you know, uh, smart contracts or Skynet, you know, sort of, uh, that was her, her point. And I think it's, it's a really, really important thing to consider. Um, so, so roughly speaking, um, whether, whether we think it's Ethereum or, or some other group, the, the issue is if you build a public economic um, censorship resistant, symbol resistant uh, um, compute infrastructure. Um, so in other words, you store uh, uh, the state of a kind of global computer on the blockchain in such a way that, you know, nobody can actually take it down. Then, you know, as you, as you build programs that run on this, this computer, they also can't be taken down. Um, and so they have a kind of autonomous agency. And if we then hand over to those programs um, uh, mission-critical uh, digital assets, um, uh, you know, such as the ability to, to um, start a car, you, you know, via Internet of Things kinds of things, or, or you know, drive an entire fleet of, of vehicles, um, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, move large amounts of funds around, around the globe, yeah, so so these these are real serious issues, <laughs> uh, and they're kind of scary, right? And we're giving we're giving these programs a kind of autonomy um, that we have to really think about very hard. And one of the reasons we have to think about them very hard is because, as I, I said in a recent interview uh, on the Ether Review, we, we we really can't know what programs do, and I don't think people understand that we cannot know what programs do. Um, the, the, the halting problem comes up in many, many guises and gas is not sufficient uh, as, a, as a means of controlling those kinds of programs. You, you can't even know if a program is going to call a subroutine. Um, and so you really, really, you can't just like visually inspect or probe a program and say what it's going to do. And even if you probe, probe it with other kinds of automated means, um, it becomes halting hard to really, really tease out all the twists and turns that a program can do. So, so computer programs are mysterious. They are as mysterious as people, um, but they don't have a lot of human qualities that, that make us uh, sort of bond with each other, right? So <laughs> they don't have kids. They don't go to the bathroom. That sort of thing. So, so it it really is a kind of it's not a it's. It, it's ill-advised at this point to just hand over the keys to the kingdom 
to this new class of autonomous agents without a lot of um, a reflection. So I think that that's kind of the, the, the situation that we're in right now. So uh, coming, coming back to that, I guess maybe challenging a little bit. Um, it, with these computer languages and these programs that we build are axiomatic by nature in that they are built upon mathematics and then put into a computer language and there's a certain scope in which these things can operate. And although we may not know exactly what they'll do, don't we know the range in which they can do things? No, not even close. And, and, and this, is, this is exactly why. So first of all, you can't know it even for a single program. Um, but, but it becomes a lot worse because what, what, what we're really imagining is millions and millions of contracts and millions and millions of instances of those contracts. So the first millions are the different kinds of contracts. And the second millions is, is all the instances of those contracts that are running. So, so we're, we're, we're literally talking billions of interconnected contracts. And to think that we can understand dynamics at that scale, no, no, we, we really, really don't. And, and it's, quite, it's quite easy to see. It's a chaotic dynamical system. So that's more akin are, to trying for us trying to understand biological data or understand the brain. It may be built on simple yes. principles, but we we're still really don't know what's going on. Yeah, and, but but it's it's kind of it's more it's more than more than just it's more just than we don't know what's going on. We can't know. There are hard limits about what we can and cannot know, and we cannot know these kinds of dynamics. They will they will forever be mysterious. So there there are some things that we can do to make it safer. But there's, but there will always be hard limits about what we can and cannot know about these kinds of things, uh, under certain assumptions about the nature of what human uh, capacity is and what program capacity is. Okay. Now, that, that, that therein lies a very deep and interesting discussion. I don't think many people understand that there's actually this giant, this infinite tower of of expressive capability, right? So there's a there's a notion of computing which is beyond Turing complete. And then above that, there's a notion of computing that's, that's beyond that, and so on and so forth, uh, all the way out to infinity. And, and we don't really know where human capacity is in that tower. The strong AI idea is that we sit at Turing complete, but that may or may not be so. And there are very, very bright um, mathematicians and, um, uh, and logicians who think that that might not be the case. Uh, so Roger Penrose, for example, suggests that no, um, because we are fundamentally, uh, we, we live in a quantum world and we're already seeing this interface between quantum and, and biology. It's quite likely that human intelligence is somehow somehow making uh, use of quantum phenomena. And so, so our capacity is out past Turing complete. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's an argument that, that very, very bright and well-respected people have made. Um, so, so again, there's there's so much mystery here, and we need to not lose sight of that, especially if we're talking about turning over uh, 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 agency to to things that we really don't understand. So, I, I actually I'm a I'm a computational physicist whose specialty is quantum mechanics, and sweet, and it's it seems I, I'm not quite sure if you're making this the same assumption is that um, quantum mechanics tells us that we can't know what physics is doing or reality is doing. All we can do is know the limitations of the questions that we can ask. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I would put it quite that, that Are you giving but, but I, I understand the, to the, the idea the, of the, artificial the intelligence? Place. 
Yeah, go ahead. Say that last bit again. Are you giving least... somewhat of a sentience to artificial intelligence? Uh, again, we, we we don't yet know what sentience is, yeah. um, <laughs> right? I think I think we're there. there there's, lot, there's lots of different arguments about what sentience is, but I, I think the real important thing is: are are we at a point where we feel confident that we can unleash this kind of agency without human intervention? Okay, so this brings us right back. Uh, let's get, I guess, maybe back on topic because I could probably, I could, I can diverge this and tangent it to it, all kinds of places. But uh, let's let's get back to scenario. How does scenario address this situation? Dora, I've been yammering on for quite some time. You want to give a give a go, and then I'll <laughs> add my two cents. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really happy to, to let you lead the conversation, but, but specifically about that, um, uh, I want to give an answer uh, that's perhaps a bit more generalized. Um, what, what we are trying to put our finger on is on what is going to allow humans, people, people communicating through the internet, to come up with new non-zero-sum games to play, games that put us in the same boat that make us acknowledge that we're all in, in this together. And uh, the four things that are, are conducive to that are communications, iteration, a sort of uh, meta-level order that we all adhere to, like a story or a type of a religion that in, can also be a system of, of rules or morals. And lastly, there's reputation. When you have reputation involved, it's much easier to place trust in others and coordinate, communicate, and then um, interact with them in ways that produce mutual benefit. So with, with this insight into what creates non-zero-sumness, which is um, a major component generally in the, the progress of the social order, we have tried to bake reputation into the system in a way that's very inherent, that's, that's innate to the, the actions that you take in a network. So, in fact, as part of the attention economy, but also we're hoping to extend that later and generalize it further, reputation isn't anymore some, um, some conserved quantity. It's not a score that you, that you hold. It's not like you get more points. There's, there's actually a reflection of, of your reputation as, a, as the topology of the network. So it's really baked into the basic assumptions of how, how information flows through the network. Hmm. So um, I was reading a little bit on the website, and I think you guys right now are, are making headlines, you know, preventing the attack on the DAO. Re regarding the original mission of the DAO and given another opportunity to invest in a similar project, and let's just say it didn't have security issues this time, would you both eagerly do so? And do you kind of look forward to a revised and polished DAO? Oh, I'm so, I'm super, super excited about all efforts in this direction. I mean, even buggy ones, right? Because what we're, what we're really trying to stumble towards is um, a, a means by which we can, we can get uh, um signal aggregation where we can start start to understand what is the will of uh, the the collective the, the wisdom of the collective and the will of the collective um, and and the DAO is one one movement in this direction and and you know 
there, there are lots of models to pay attention to in this space. The, the, the brain is one. Uh, uh, honeybee democracy is another. How, how swarms, for example, choose where they're going to go next um, is another intriguing uh, consensus mechanism. Uh, there, uh, let's see, I was, I was just thinking about another one. Um, oh, yeah, uh, um, uh, kinetic proofreading is another uh, um, uh, natural uh, approach to beginning to look at uh, signal aggregation. So, so uh, I, I think we, we need lots and lots of investigation, and, and, and we need to kind of put it in a crucible. Like the, the DAO, the folks who have done the DAO have been bold. They've kind of put themselves, you know, under the crucible of, of you know, making it work with real, real live money. Um, which is going to force people. It's a kind of forcing function, right? It's sort of it's getting enough people excited and interested that they're going to engage and 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 ferret out some of these bugs. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm super super excited about this. I'm I'm super excited about Vlad's um, uh, project uh, Ether Signal. I think that's really good, and I think there are going to be lots more of these. Um, so so yeah, I mean, this is my answer. So there's we're, we're, so one, one aspect of it that we have uh, explored in this piece that you mentioned is about how to make stronger assurances about the quality of the code and about its ability to withstand all sorts of attacks, like the one that uh, that was used to, to drain funds out of the DAO. Uh, on, um, the other aspect uh, that we hope to see in, in a future DAO and that, that we're also contemplating, uh, you know, uh, joking about implementing ourselves, is this um, reputation baked into the system, or, or essentially this, this human element? Um, in, in the DAO, the curators, the, the human element, Inter, was there just as um, a very thin stopgap measure. It was just about whitelisting uh, the proposals. And generally, I think that the, the move to try and place all of the trust, or the, the vast majority of it, in, in code is in many ways naive. And it's not just because of the things that Greg mentioned about code, about about the, this extreme unknowability about it. It's also just that no matter what type of code you write, at, at least at this point, you know, before the singularity, it's <laughs> never it's, it's never going to be it's never going to capture all of the, um, the situations that that can manifest. You know, the more complex a system you build the harder it's going to design it to just uh, be able to handle all of the things that are going to happen. And not only that, the world is changing so quickly now, it's, it's really not, not, a, not such a good idea to, to have something like this that's, that's unstoppable, just operating without the ability to, to, to change it, um, to make sure that it still serves a benefit. And with some, some humans in the mix talking about how they want this to function, what the best thing would be to do for this to best serve everyone. Now, I, I know that the DAO had um, a mechanism for updating, but there, was, there wasn't really a discussion about how to best govern the DAO so that it serves all of the users and all of the investors in it. It, it was treated as another, another type of proposal. But then proposals really just dependent on, de depended on who had the funds, right? Funds essentially equaled voice. And then again, it, it puts us into a situation that in many ways we're trying to escape with, right? Uh, 
um, coming up with uh, new economies, new ways to interact online, new ways to govern ourselves in a decentralized manner. And so I really think that a new type of, of DAO or, or DCO, it's a name I like better, decentralized collaborative organization, will have to have a proper governance mechanism in place that, that acknowledges the reputation people have in making decisions and operating in a way that others is beneficial for the entire network, not just be governed solely by, by code and all of the, all of the uh, issues it may have with not, not really anticipating all sorts of situations and without human intervention, at least at the, at the level of a sanity check. So I also I want to I want to uh, like do I would like to return to your original question, um, and, and and just point out that there there are ways to to begin to tame some of the interactions uh, uh, of amongst contracts and within contracts. Uh, so so again when, when I when I talk about contracts here I'm talking about programs that are deployed against um, some kind of blockchain like thing. So you get. You get this censorship-resistant, uh, civil-resistant, public economic uh, behavior. So they're effectively unstoppable. So, so that makes them kind of special, special programs as opposed to apps you might get from the App Store, which are easily stoppable. Um, so, so one thing is that there's a new there's a new class of um, uh, uh, type systems that are called behavioral types. Um, and, and they capture more information about programs, uh, and they allow you to say things, uh, both both things like um, about uh, uh, liveness, for example, and safety of programs, and they also allow you to say things uh, about security properties. And these these type systems have been essentially under development and emerging since about the late '80s, but they haven't hit the mainstream. There there are a few. Um, uh, uh, um, mainstream industrial programming languages that are beginning to adopt some of these kinds of techniques. Uh, uh, one one really no, notable example um, is the type and effect system uh, for Scala's delimited continuations. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there, uh, again, you can express deadlock freedom uh, in a type system. Uh, and in fact, back in 2003, that's one of the things I demoed for Bill. And we, we built a, a, a programming language uh, very much like the, the Rolang um, contracting language. Uh, and um, we, we had a behavioral type system for it. And, you know, as, as a part of the demo, I introduced a deadlock into, uh, into a couple of contracts that were talking to each other. Um, and and the, the compiler actually caught the deadlock. Um, and then and it actually said, you know, you know, around line 31, you know, this thing is waiting on a message from the other program, and the other program is waiting on a message from this one, and they're not going to make any progress because there's a cyclic dependency here. Um, so that's uh, that, that kind of thing is 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 for real, and it, it's happening very very rapidly now. Um, there, it was, there was a long tail, but now now it's beginning to take off, and and it's kind of it's really important for us to to take advantage of those tools and techniques to tame some of this behavior. Uh, it turns out that you can also use types like this as a discovery mechanism and a just-in-time service provisioning mechanism. So you have you have contracts describe themselves using uh, using uh, behavioral types. So that's that's an important um, an important uh, uh, capability. Uh, and then um, 
you can also have clients that are looking for contracts that do things ask uh, about clients uh, contracts that do things using behavioral types. And then if you have repositories of these behavioral types and the contracts that they're linked to, you can you can assemble uh, uh, just in time a contract that will cover um, a, a range of behavior that's required by a client. So that's that's uh, a, another uh, important aspect of it, which is, is not just that it, it works defensively, but it also makes us more productive. So again, back to your AI point, this this kind of capability um, would, would uh, it's not just constraining, it's enabling. So uh, it, it allows it allows contracts to assemble themselves to to solve a particular problem required uh, uh, by a client. The other the other side of this, um, well, let me let me stop there for now and 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 uh, let the conversation. So this is this is like I I greatly appreciate this conversation, but I want to try and bring it down to the everyday listener. Like, what what does this mean for the essentially what you're saying? If I'm if I'm if I'm following you correctly, is that like your first implementation on the scenario network is a social platform, and for the everyday user, they don't give a shit about any of the stuff that you just said, unfortunately. And so, uh, well, yeah, I, them, I, I, it I essentially totally means what, what it means is that, for example, like in our Dowbug paper, what we show is that, it, that if they had used our typing system, we would have caught the, the concurrency error or, well, the, the reentrancy error, which in Rolang shows up as a kind of as a race condition. Um, but we would have caught it uh, before at compile time. And so, so, so the, the developers who are writing that contract, if they had written it in Rolang, would never have deployed the buggy contract because, because the compiler would have said, uh-uh-uh, sorry, you've got a race condition here that does, doesn't match the expectations of your semantics. That's beautiful. So what you're saying is that the, 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 your implementation or the software implementation that you've, that you've created allows developers to create applications that run smoothly at scale and catch these minor esoteric problems that developers may possibly have vis-a-vis -vis the DAO uh, before they actually happen. Yeah, but but I again, I would say that $50 million drained out of a contract is not a minor problem. Yeah, I know. I'm not I saying would, that that's the, a major problem. It's a major and, and, problem, but it's a very subtle issue in how the problem was manifested. Okay, good. I like the word subtle. I like the word nuanced, but not minor. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay so the first implementation, or the first, I guess, uh, decentralized application of Scenario is going to be a social platform, which you hope is a is a decentralized way of taking over Facebook. But no, 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 we we have no illusions about taking over <laughs> Facebook anytime soon. This, this is not what's what's happening here. Um, essentially, what we're trying to do, and this social uh, is is part of it, is to create or to make available for developers all of the tools required to create completely decentralized applications. So all of these features, all of the design that we've talked about is there to essentially underlie a completely new type of economy, one that's decentralized in nature, where any agent on the net can connect with any other and exchange value or communicate directly without any type of middleman, knowing that just by agreeing to use uh, a protocol, um, he's covered. The, the transaction is something that's, that's trustable. 
No, go ahead. I was just going to say, let me amplify that because because you know one of the things that was left out in the in the summary that you gave earlier is it's not just about individual contracts. It's about how you compose contracts, how you fit contracts together. Like if you think about it, today code is not written de novo. People people use components that they steal off of GitHub and 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 they wire them together, right? That's how that's how real code is written, and that's how contracts are going to be written if we succeed. Oh, it's a right? stack so exchange. What, what you have to do is find a way to to make the tinker toys fit together so that it's safe to fit them together, and that's that's what we're doing. And if you can make those tinker toys fit together safely, um, then um, people have the ability to, to build this much larger ecosystem. And, and it just turns out that to build a, a, um, a decentralized social network to scale, uh, regardless of whether or, not, whether or not we're trying to take over Facebook, that's not, not the point. The point is that people have expectations about the scale of social networks that are fueled by, by Facebook and Twitter and, and, and all, all Instagram and, and all the others. Right, so that's that's the market expectation right now. So if you want to build something of that scale, you have to have this kind of toy approach uh, that allows them to to put the pieces. And and if you do that, then they can put the pieces together in different ways. They can build other kinds of applications, like decentralized Uber or or you know um, I don't know decentralized Airbnb. Right, the 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 sky's the limit if you get the Tinker Toys just right. So, right is is that is that the ultimate goal? Because earlier you mentioned that the social platform is is just going to be the first step of the development for monetization. That's so correct. So what you just said. So what you said. That's pretty much the ultimate goal. Well, it, yes. I mean, well, no. For me, that's not the ultimate goal. For me, I, I can I've been super clear about this all along. For me, the ultimate goal is we are in we are up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Look at the climate data. Please pay attention. To please pay attention to where we are in human history and in terms of the the situation for planet Earth. In order to in order to tackle those problems, we need a different kind of intelligence. We need a qualitatively different kind of intelligence that arises out of being able to work together effectively. We need to tap into the wisdom of the collective, the wisdom of the crowd, which by the way. The, the belief in that is fundamental in every democratic society, right? When you're in a democracy and you, and you, and you <clears throat> believe that the democracy is better, what you're saying is we believe that the crowd is wiser than any one individual, like a queen or a king, all right? So, so this idea of the belief in the, in the wisdom of the crowd is, is not an airy-fairy thing. It's baked into most... Uh, most uh, expressions of, of democratic society, and now, so so we need that right now. We need that right now because we are facing problems that we can't solve individually, that we have to solve collectively. And so, I'm building a platform, and 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 I, I believe that Dora and I are, are in sync on this. We're building a platform which will make it possible for people to tap into that collective wisdom, so that so we can all we can all row together towards solving some of these problems, which is why the attention economy is so fundamental to the platform. So that, that... so this this brings me back to just one more um, uh, comment on that, uh, if you please. This brings me back to, to how we started the discussion about uh, the conditions that are conducive to creating collaboration on the network. 
part of it is is alongside communication, iteration, reputation, and and the meta order is is the issue of trust or, or on the opposite end, you would say how to prevent the fear of being cheated. Now, when you have these protocols in place that are trustless, they can replace what would before um, what before would have been uh, a point of failure, which is some sort of centralized entity. Right? Nowadays, we feel comfortable putting our money at the bank or using all sorts of other centralized entities that, that are you know, entangled in all sorts of uh, well, legal and financial and regulatory issues that make us comfortable about what's controlling major aspects of our lives. Now, you, you can take this to the next step and have this happen through, um, through, through code, right? through these decentralized protocols that are trustless to a degree. Right, it's it's not it's not uh, an end all thing, uh, end all thing, but it allows you to take a step further in how much you can trust that what you're doing online is actually happening, that you're not being cheated. So this this also well, um, I'll stop here. Okay, let's let's take a step back. Let's assume that you create this platform and it works, and it's everything that you want it to be. You still face the problem of adoption. How, like, because the the modern person doesn't quite understand. Oh, that's, that's, that's a very simple the, the one. I mean, it's, it's a great question, type of question that we've been, um, you know, working hard towards because that's this is exactly uh, what's going to determine whether this becomes a real thing or it's just this uh, philosophical argument in our minds. But the the point here is that it's going to be very easy to create applications which are just immediately more beneficial both to users and to suppliers. So if you, if you take the very simple example, uh, like Greg mentioned, of the decentralized, decentralized Uber, then if you don't have an Uber in between the rider who's you know, donating his car, the, the rider who's, who's asking for a ride and the, the driver who's also donating his car, then the, the fees are just much, much lower, right? There's no entity taking 30% of every exchange anymore. So that's an immediate benefit that can be split very easily both uh, to the rider and to the, the driver. Now, if you if you look at other types of interaction on the network, you can see many other uh, locations like this where you can either cut down the fees or produce more freedoms or just allow people to to create better spaces in which they can collaborate freely. And this is this is what it's all about. So just by creating these tools that work better, that you know, I can just as a naive user immediately feel are doing more for me. Uh, you can start creating this as an expectation for all other applications. Right. I mean, I, I think one of the things that, that we re remember when Katie um, uh, remember when, when Katie came to the uh, scenario bay, and I was there at the same time, and. Um, we we uh, we talked about you know what can we do when we work together and we realized that this was this was not just about people but it was also about uh, contracts and applications right and that that's that that's essentially what we're talking about here is creating the the conditions whereby both the tools work better together the applications that you build on top of those tools work better together which will help people be able to work better together that that's the idea. That's a beautiful idea. I, I, I find that if you can enable people to work better with themselves in a more natural way, then you can get much, much larger things done in a much easier way. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's precisely the that's precisely the thought. And 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 then and then we think that adoption that adoption begins to take care of itself. Like like in particular, one of the things that's that's really uh, uh, important in terms of market signal is you know look at the explosive response to diaspora. So even though the diaspora people couldn't deliver on the promise, that didn't mean that people weren't hungry for the promise. Likewise with Ello, people were were uh, uh, the response to Ello was explosive um, because people are hungry for the solution, but Ello again couldn't quite deliver. Um, but but with the decentralized technologies, it becomes possible to deliver on the promise that people are hungry for. So already people are hungry for it. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, I, I mean, I, I don't want to pick on Facebook too too much because actually Facebook has done wonderful things. But but the the reality is that that you know Facebook's business model is such that they don't ever want to really give you control of the feed because that's that's their that's their bread and butter. It's their money. Um, uh, exactly, and then and then and then on top of that, you know, because Facebook is a U.S. company, um, uh, 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 because uh, uh, Facebook is a, a U.S. company, they're susceptible to certain kinds of pressures, right? So at any point, the NSA can knock on Facebook corporate offices and say, "Here's a court order from a secret court." And you have to show us the personally identifiable information and private information of this this range of folks and, and organizations. And, and and there's no recourse for Facebook unless they want to cease to do business in the US. And then finally, Facebook itself is um, uh, 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 it's just simply you know, there there's there it's too tempting to not Go go through the data and and manipulate users, right? So they they've already shown that they 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 do that. Um, so they they've written they've published psychology uh, uh, in in psychology journals about you know conducting experiments on their users, right? And then so so there really is a breach of trust uh, between Facebook and their users, and and users might be willing to go along with that and say, hey, well, you know. I got to give up something in order to get all this, you know, get them to run all the servers and and, and run the data centers. Um, but the re- but the second part of the problem is that that you know if you think about it, fifty years ago, right, the the the, the New York Times paid its content creators and content uh, curators, and they paid them quite well. Today, Facebook doesn't pay its content creators or its content curators. Not a red cent. And yet, Facebook makes billions of dollars in profit per quarter, right? So the so the people who make Facebook valuable don't get a chance to participate in those returns, and they're at risk in terms of the in terms of the privacy thing. So so there's already a huge hunger for something that's going to fit the bill better, and and so that's where I think the 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 adoption begins to take care of itself. So another word towards adoption is embedded in one of the major benefits this, that this type of network or this type of economy has. And it comes from not having any types of world gardens anymore. Because there's no central repositories of information, because user data and identity just float in the network in this decentralized cloud, completely under the control of the user, of the originator of the content, then it's very, very easy for any new application to just grab the information that's needed, of course, assuming the, the user agrees to that, 
and use it in a new application game, you know, boot, boot slap a completely new application game. I feel like I'm just using you here. Oh, I can't. Let's see my code. Okay. So it, what it means is that the more applications on the platform, and um, also worth mentioning is that because the spirit is very open, it's all open source, and specifically, we've done a lot to make sure that what we're doing is very modular. It also means that we're going to see all sorts of applications which are just meshes of functionality with, uh, with all of the user base of all of the applications that are already on the network. So it's, it's going to have this incredible network effect between applications, between users. It's never going to, again, be a situation where you have these this, um, you know, huge stacks, these mega corporations that have access to all, all of the information that comes from your participation from the moment you've picked up your smartphone in the morning and until you hit, hit send on a message and have it locked up in a way that's completely unusable to anyone else. I think once uh, developers begin to understand the benefits of this approach and once there's um, uh, at least uh, uh, even, even just a handful of applications uh, on on this platform, um, communicating with the same protocols and, and being open to each other, there's just going to be a, a critical turning point where this becomes this this idea that just seems, you know, why haven't we done this so far? It's just so it just makes so much more sense. Everyone benefits. You know, I think right there is a great is a great place to 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 start to wrap it up. Uh, at the interest of, I mean, I could I could probably continue to talk about this, these conversations, these 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 issues that you're trying to tackle forever. But in the interest of, we our gotta get them back on. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way. Well, you're gonna have to come back on, and we'll have more questions to ask you and more depth to get into. Sweet. Well, I mean, I'm just so grateful that you guys are are, are doing podcasts like this and 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 you know diving in and creating these kinds of conversations. <laughs> Well, I just it, think more and more and more people need to know about what's happening. Um, it's because, a whole you know, new world. When, and we're, when we're, I go to the coffee shop, not everybody knows about what's happening with the decentralized movement. And so I'm, I'm grateful to folks like you who are, who are helping to, to, to raise the profile and, and, and create you know, uh, a fun and engaging dialogue about it. Well, we have, we have one more all question hours. for you. Go ahead, Cello. All right. Well, we, we do have one last question. Uh, might be the hardest that we've ever asked you guys. Uh, and Greg, you can take this one. Uh, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? <laughs> it's a great educational exper experiment <laughs> in, in decentralized digital currency. That's, that's below oh. 10 words. Perfect. <laughs> I like that. I like where you went with it. Cool. Well, thank you two so much. We really appreciate the time. And Dora, I hope you feel better from that flu. Flu yeah, suck. I'm <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right, guys. Take, take it easy. Take care. And that was the interview with Dor. And Greg. And Greg. <laughs> and um All right. Corey, can you just talk real quick about the mental tennis that you had with that great guy? Uh, oh no, he's like, he's a smart dude, and I think 
if anything, he's going to have a like they're they might have trouble trying to talk about the complicated things that he's doing and implementing or attempting to implement because I haven't mm-hmm. I, don't, I haven't seen it actually work yet. So, but a lot of the ideas and things that he's trying to do makes sense from like a first pr- principles type of view. It's like we need like they had. It seems as though the way they've started the entire platform is they set out a list of requirements and things they want to achieve and then worked backwards into achieving those things. And in order to do that, they've had to essentially create a new platform. Hmm. Right. So they started with the end in mind. They were like, this is what yeah. we want to do. Like, and then they started to, building if back. We want to do this, then it has to be, it has to have these specifications. It has to scale on the network of, you know, if, it, if we want to have a social network, it has to be as big or bigger than Facebook. Okay, well, we have to work at that scale. All right, well, nothing that is out there works at that scale right now. So how do we do that? And then it has to have, it has to send money. How do we do that? And all these different, all these different requirements and specifications to mm. reel down nitty gritty specifications. And then they've worked backwards and started trying to create things that will allow that. Mm. And that's, that's the current process in which they're doing. And there's a lot of smart minds together. Uh, if you if you read the about me page, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been in the space for a long time, who have really good idea, have made good contributions together, trying to make this work, and we'll see what happens. Hmm. Sounds good, but a lot of things sound good in crypto. But I'll give you something that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I know something that is good that I just found out because I've been so far out of the loop. Coinbase added Ethereum, and I know you guys are like, what this fucking guy run the show but i've been busy and i just logged back into it <laughs> and i I logged back into coinbase.com i hadn't been uh you know keeping up for a little while and it was like coinbase add support for ether buy ether and i was like what the fuck huh? and you guys were like yeah man what the fuck it's, it's been a while i mean when did that happen uh, a couple days ago Whew. man Shit's getting real. It happened. Um, yeah, it's pretty neat. It's, Shit. It's, we knew we knew it was going to happen. They allowed it in, in, the, in the exchange, and it probably took them a little time to get the the front end of Coinbase to work the way they wanted it to and be safe and secure mm-hmm. before they actually added it to Coinbase. Because Coinbase is kind of the like the 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 user face to the majority of their users, and the GDAX exchange is kind of where the traders go. Mm-hmm. Of course, they'll get access to coins first. And if those coins are, you know, show to be fruitful and worthwhile, then they'll probably add them to the front end if they think that enough people want to use it. Mm-hmm. So let's just look at what Coinbase has done. There's USD wallet, Ether wallet, Bitcoin wallet. They have vaults to keep your stuff cold storage. Jeez, man. And yeah, if we're talking about Ether. Could we have asked for better publicity to an audience of four million customers? So it's you know good stuff. Man, this stuff is—it's crazy to think about how far it's come. Just even since we've gotten interested, and Corey, you were interested in this stuff before we were. So yeah. it's just the rapid advancements in this industry that just blow it's me only, away. It's only a few years too. It's just blown, I'm blown away by how fast this quick shit moves. Imagine, uh, imagine if you were one of the old, like I guess you would say, quote unquote, old people of Bitcoin, the first Bitcoiners, the OGs, yeah. 
and you were around when it was just a, a couple guys on a forum trading something for that you couldn't buy anything with. It was just yeah. all theoretical. Just having and fun with data. The cyberpunks talking about what this could be in the world, and they're probably a little pissed off at what it what, what they wanted and what it is, and they're also probably pretty proud in that it, it became something real. And this is something that I kind of was thinking about just recently, talking with scenario, talking like thinking about Ethereum, looking at all the different um, projects that are going on right now, and the potential of them, and what they're trying to do, and how it's different from Bitcoin, and how it's not. And in the beginning, I would say maybe even like a year ago Mm -hmm. or a year and a half ago, when we first got started, you had Bitcoin and you had Litecoin and you had just a plethora of altcoins, right? You had Mm -hmm. Alien Coin, Fast Coin, Gold Coin, Black Bitcoin. I mean, you get all these different, essentially, it was Bitcoin with a different name. A different blocks, a different block time, and a different amount to be dispersed. Right? It's mm. all that's all they did. They changed. They they forked the Bitcoin client, changed all these things, created a new coin, called it called it something, called it an altcoin or a new cryptocurrency, and that bred this disdain and hate for altcoins. And like they're not real anything. There's no point in using them. Because they're just they're just Bitcoin with a few different numbers changed, but there's no network effect. There's nobody backing it. It's just all pump and dump, right? Mm-hmm. That's and that and that sentiment is still here, but it's not necessary anymore. Because yeah. if you look at what an altcoin is nowadays, and what people are trying to do with with cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, uh, distributed consensus, and the algorithms for consensus. All these different things. The the altcoin space is alive and well and could end up becoming incredibly healthy for the entire community. So when you see a new altcoin come out, don't throw it out of the don't throw it out immediately because you still have this idea that it's just a forked Bitcoin client. More often than not, a lot of these new altcoins are trying something new and novel and trying to solve a problem that uh, in a new way. And so the example space or test space of what Bitcoin can become or what cryptocurrencies can become is really exciting. And I don't want people to have that same mentality of like, it's just an altcoin. Don't worry about it. It's a pump and dump scheme. Yeah. You've got to really, if you're into altcoins, go ahead by all means, but you, you're going to spend a lot of time doing a lot of research because there's very fascinating people, fascinating minds building these just really unique systems right on the edge of what Bitcoin began. So understand that, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time researching these things. Um, But it's just fascinating to see where this goes. I think I can't believe Ether was added to Coinbase. I'm still a little blown back. But, you know, that means, you know, I can automatically buy Ether. That means... A lot of things they don't have an ether cold a cold wallet. I don't think I didn't see. I think a lot of the the things that you've grown to like with Coinbase will are not automatically attached to ether yet. No, you can you can do a reoccurring reoccurring ether buy. I'm yeah, looking at it right now. Can you do it instantly? You can do it instantly if you. Um, there's only a hundred dollar instant buy limit right now on my stuff. So but, a lot, I'm sure a lot of the ways you can do things that you can currently with Bitcoin will slowly move towards that for ether on coinbase i haven't looked into it 
they haven't been buying a lot lately. Mm. Damn, I'll be damn. This is cool, man. Well, oh, I do want to point out that uh, Andreas exposed one coin, said they're a Ponzi scheme. So stay away it? from one coin. One coin's a Ponzi scheme. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. I didn't do my own research to <laughs> say Bitcoin that. Guys, Bitcoin and censored guys went 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 balls deep on one coin guys. Yeah. Shout out to the Bitcoin uncensored guys. They keep it going. I don't know how they maintain that level of energy sometimes. Like, it's like 100% the entire show. I feel like I have to, like, take a breath. Like, whew. I think all other shows suck except others. Dang. <laughs> Marcello so. just shitting on everybody. You got just shitting on them. Kidding. You could, you, use all that energy and delete your podcast. Burn. Like some of the podcasts. Shots fired. Why are you trying to start like a rap battle with Bitcoin podcasts? What's that about? Let's have a rap battle. Let's have a Bitcoin podcast rap battle. That would be hilarious, actually. Us versus Bitcoin Uncensored. Who's better? We have Lil Buterin, so we already called him. Snags on Lil Buterin. Lil Butte. Lil Butte. Well, um, can we wrap it up? Yeah. All right, cool. Oh, whoa, whoa. I got got a question from a listener. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's see if we can answer some listener questions on the fly. Really quick. Let's do rapid fiber. Um, at Irish Etchings asks, how can small sellers access payment by Bitcoin? Coinbase. Yeah. All right. At uh, Silly Stoner Merchant Ken. Tools. We had, we had the same question from, uh, I think it was Silly Stoner Ken. Yeah. Um, there's there's Bitcoin merchant tools that will give you a lot of tools as, as a small store owner to allow people to pay you Bitcoin and then you can automatically convert that to cash if you don't want to deal with Bitcoin. I don't know why you would. Uh, but a lot of these tools allow you to do those types of things and they also keep really good records. So Coinbase, I think they're they're probably the number one, but there's more out there. I just need to look. Bitcoin processors? There's a lot, man. BitSquare, yeah, a lot. BitPay. BitPay's yeah. been doing it for longer than Coinbase. Honestly, BitPay, I think, is a little bit better when it comes to merchant tools. BitPay, right. uh, BitSquare, um also what's the little thing you see people have it on their phones it's a little square with another little square inside of it it's it's called square square you can integrate that into your back end and yeah so a lot of businesses don't know that and if you are one of those cool businesses that like does everything on an ipad and take your orders on an ipad and people swipe things on an ipad you're probably using square maybe something like it if you do a little bit of research on square's website and uh, maybe I can get this out. Uh, you can integrate Bitcoin on your back end. So now it'll just pop up right where, you know, your cashiers or something, uh, they'll press cash or they'll press credit or they'll press debit. You can, it'll just pop up a Bitcoin button and you can push the button and then you can accept Bitcoin. So it's just, a, it's a smooth integration. It's not that much code. And go look on Square's website for the uh, literature. All right, next question. Uh, at- at Adam Morgan says, should Pokemon Go leverage the blockchain? I no. Know. Wait. Before you say no, that's a what kind of question is that? What do you mean by leverage the blockchain? Leverage how? That's all I got. I yeah. can't make assumptions on how you leverage something. Hey, dude, who you are, right back in with a better question. All right, hey, next question. Uh, I'm, eat, I'm eating some eggs this morning. Should I leverage the blockchain for that? Yeah. Come on. Like, what is that? Well, it depends on how I don't know how Pokemon Go actually makes money, but they make money off of opportunity. Is how they make money. One, they're getting all this data on people, so advertisements can be very, very, very. Maybe you can. Maybe you can if they open up like a like a 
a Pokemon marketplace where you can trade and sell and buy your, your caught Pokemon, you could leverage the blockchain. Well, how about the... I think hard. Pokemon Go hard. suffers server downtimes, possibly due to DDoS attacks. Can the blockchain help with that? No. No. Can all Pokemon Go... Go ahead. At, at the at the current implementation of what, what we have, no. I was just going to say, the only way... Mm, do I keep interrupting you? <laughs> no, I'm just talking over you. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm done, go ahead. I was just going to say, the only way Pokemon Go can fix their server issues is by buying more servers. That's it. Just And, and spread them out. But yeah, we're working on decentralized applications, right? But it's still a really young field. And yeah. and something at that scale, I mean, that's we can't make that scale yet. Hmm. Maybe he just wanted to hear us think about how we could leverage the Bitcoin blockchain and use Pokemon Go. Let's come with some maybe, ideas. Maybe he's just really loves Pokemon Go and mm-hmm. our show. Like what if a Mewtwo were worth one Bitcoin and you could mine by walking to the locations of where the Mewtwo was and then when you catch it, you get a Bitcoin and it's just see how stupid this sounds, man. That was just a ridiculous question. I don't understand. <laughs> Moving on. Next question. That's all I got. All right. Well, let's close this out then. Shout out to uh, Zoe Saldana, of course. You the best. Um, at the BTC, at B, the BTC podcast on Twitter is our Twitter. Mojin Cello runs it. Is Mo? Is it Mojin like a thing? It is a thing. What is, what is it? It's, um. It's like a grave robber. Oh, that's deep. I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming. Why Mojin? Uh, cello was taken. <laughs> <laughs> Is that another M Goat McCool? Yeah. yeah, it was like a whatever. <laughs> um, if you play Xbox, M Goat McCool is Cello. He's not on there anymore because he bought a Steam box. You. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Uh, so our affiliation with um, Purse.io. If you do your shopping on Purse.io, um, stop doing it through the current profile that you have and sign up with another one through our website. If you go to the BitcoinPodcast.com, right on the right side, you'll see a banner. That banner says, like, say 15% on Amazon at Purse.io. Oh, oh. And then you can, like, buy stuff. Like you would regularly buy stuff on purse. Except for- it's an upgrade. It's an yeah. upgrade to your account. You're it's literally a- upgrading your account. You know why? Because you're paying us while you do the exact same thing. Absolutely. It's an upgrade. It's like giving back when you shop, except for you're why giving to you us. upgrade your purse account? <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that. That sounds, it's a free upgrade. Yep. 100% free upgrade. And yeah, so go ahead and sign up with that program, our affiliation program. Do your do your shopping on purse. Buy shit with purse. Get your shit with purse. Get your shit with purse. Um, yeah. Um, other than that, uh, the BitcoinPodcast.com is the website. Sign up for our newsletter so you know when we drop new episodes. And um, is it, am I missing anything? Nah. Nah. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, give us five star rating. If you don't want to give us a five star rating, fuck off. Um, yeah. Well, 
play. I don't want to end the show with fuck off. That's bad. <laughs> Go read the new article about this episode on Coin Telegraph. Oh yeah, there you go. Cointelegraph.com. Alright guys, it's been a good one. Uh play the outro. The new outro. <laughs>